Awana, I just want to thank you so much for joining the Talent Ed podcast today. As you know, um, Talent Ed is all about uh, sharing experiences from the talent acquisition space, uh, allowing our listeners uh, the ability to lean in and learn from highly capable, experienced people like yourself, sharing uh, in tips and tricks on how you've got to where you've got to today and how you overcame some of the talent challenges that you will have delivered. So that what I'd love to do is just spend the next sort of 30 to 45 minutes just getting to know you, getting to understand your career, getting to understand how you tackled some of your talent challenges in your career so our, some of our listeners can learn from that. Does that sound, sound good to you? Hi, Leo, and thank you for inviting me. Hi, everyone. That sounds like a big list. I hope we can get through it. Otherwise, we're going to need to do episode two. Yeah, we'll do episode two. Exactly. That sounds great. That sounds great. So you're currently the head of technology TA for EU at Wayfair. Is that right? I am there. Yes, I am based in Berlin. I I moved here mid-pandemic two years ago. Um, I cannot believe time has passed so fast. But um, yeah, I I moved um, and spent a a short while, unfortunately, only with Zalando um, and then moved to Wayfair, where I took the role of head of uh, talent acquisition for technology and analytics, EU. Um, And and it's been a great ride so far. So very, very happy to be here and very happy to um, work with the the team. And we'll we'll dive a bit more into that as well. But yeah. It's amazing. And what an amazing brand as well. And what a journey. So yeah, I'd love to go on that journey with you. So we're going to finish at Wayfair where you are today and learn some more there. But take me right back to how you got into talent acquisition. <laughs> you know, a lot of the times when I ask that question to especially people when I interview them, just for curiosity, it's not part of the interview process, right? But um, I think I'm one of those people who didn't fully fell into it, right? Like a lot of people in recruitment, they're like, well, I had a friend and it's like, let's do this over the summer. <laughs> um, I actually studied the history for bachelor degree um, and I knew I don't want to be a teacher or research in, in that domain. I moved um, from a very small village in Romania to the book to Bucharest in the capital. And I, I, I said to myself, I'm just going to study this because I'm passionate about it. And I know I'm going to enjoy it. But I'm going to have to deal with the big city, finding your destiny uh, piece uh, by myself uh, separately. And um, I really had the opportunity to to work in a tech um, telecom company at that point, uh, an ISP, an internet service provider. Um, And they didn't have an HR department per se or a talent acquisition department per se. I was in university, was doing a bit of everything. And they needed to recruit some network engineers. And they're like, we have no idea how to do this. I'm like, just give it to me. <laughs> I'll try. <laughs> so I was 19 and I, I started learning about knock engineers, about data centers, about all these things which were fascinating. And Romania had a, a, quite a good resource on that. So it was a very good school. Um, from there, I started working into an international agency. Again, I was super, super lucky to work with some amazing managers at that point who taught me things not just about the candidate experience, but also business development, stakeholder management, speed and and availability in what you're doing. I loved it, um, to be honest. So from there, I did around five years or more agency work. Um, One of the best agencies still on that market in Bucharest is Brainspotting. I I had the honor to also lead some teams there um, while while still very young, I might say, but I got a vote of confidence. So that was, I would say, a good boost for me at some point to say, I'm good. I just need to expand my wings outside of Romania. (laughs) Was it the traditional contingent agency type environment? I did a bit of both, actually. So I think half of the time was more contingency agency based. Uh, I would say half of it for recruiting for IBM, Accenture, all these things in Slovakia, Czech Republic. Very crazy for that time in Romania. But the other side was a lot more, I would say, assessment centers as embedded. We were working on retainer a lot with partners like Vodafone um, or other telecom organizations in Romania. So I got to see a bit of everything very early in my career, which was was really good for me, I think. Yeah, one of the things that um, I've, I've noticed just you know, in building teams internationally for clients and for us is that um, in the traditional agency world, while we do try to be very different than the traditional agency, 
The people that have come from traditional agency are some of the highest performers we have in this business because they, they just get stakeholder management, the pay for work, uh, the candidate experience. And some of the people that we've brought through the business uh, have decided to take a leap from, from external through yeah. to internal. And that was, was that a conscious decision that you wanted to, the journey you wanted to take through to the mm. internal side of things? Interesting question. And no, I was one of those people who... I think when I was in Dublin with my, my first work there with Stelfox, high Stelfox people, um, I was saying I never want to be internal. That sounds so boring. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, like I, I was so driven by the fact that I can work with any client more or less that I want and I can diversify my portfolio and I can learn from so many different people and so many different business, business models and so on, right? Um, and at some point with Stellfox, actually, they were the ones who had a project with Activision Blizzard. Those who play Call of Duty, they would know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And they have this infrastructure group in Ireland, in Dublin, Demonware. And they needed somebody embedded for like three months or so. Um, I was working with them already in agency mode. Um, so they just needed some, some boost um, at that point. I was like, okay, I'll join you full time for a, a period of time. Um, and uh, then I'll be back to agency days. But I, I, I got the taste, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> after that little uh, experience and I met some amazing people there even to this day we keep in touch and I love the company I love it it's very geeky very technical right and I, I loved all that and that kind of caught the eye of some folks in Facebook at that point yeah and again I was like I don't want to I don't want to be in a big organization that's going to be you know just a small person in a big system of things and I did interview I remember back then and a lot of our audience would have this the same challenge right like you interview with Google then you interview with startups how, how do you choose there's no recipe but I I think what I really enjoyed about moving in the first like proper internal role with Facebook was that the people were really really passionate especially did the same like in an agency right they were really hungry for knowledge and that made me go there and they were also doing a lot of the work that I really enjoyed working on infrastructure, SRE type of role, again, very, very technical stuff. Um, so from that point onwards, I was like, okay, internal is not that boring. <laughs> and what year were you at Facebook? Sorry. What, what year, years were you, uh, were you based at Facebook? Um, was that, was that in, in Dublin or in the UK? Eight years, uh, seven years ago in Dublin, yeah. And um, so you're at Facebook. One of the things I've always been curious, Facebook's obviously is an amazing brand that would have quite a natural pool for talent. Mm -hmm. um, is that a, a, a good assumption? Um, mm -hmm. And if you do, yeah, that's a good right. So, so we'll come on that, but also, um, um, and we'll come on to diversity piece later, but when you do have, if you do have such a pool of talent, how yeah. do you make sure that you create that diverse workforce when you have an influx of candidates? My experience on that note, I would say it's, it surprises people. So while we did have a lot of applicants indeed, the bar was so high and the roles were so specific right. that we would still need to source 90% of the time. Wow. Okay. So we would go through hundreds of profiles on a weekly basis and select the five, 10% um, that would cut it. Um, it was not, especially back then, again, maybe in other types of roles, it would be different. But for these very niche technical roles, the, the bar was so high, the, the, the specificity, like I was hiring some network engineers for, for, <laughs> for laying down like the entire plans to, to put cables under the sea between the continents for us to have internet. So it was called wow. Project Aquila. It was, yeah, it was super interesting. And then of course, all the data center work uh, for Facebook is quite fascinating. They opened some data centers in, in Ireland after I left, but they had a massive one in Sweden already. Um, so the answer is not really, like even if you are a very high, like attractive brand, you need to make that balance with quality and with exactly what you're searching. And even if people would come in, even the ones we source, right? Like again, 80% would not pass the interview. So your funnel would get very small, very fast. <laughs> uh, that's okay. So that's really interesting. I want, to, I want to stay on that for a moment, if I may, because um, uh, I believe that, you know, the, the role it, when, it, of talent acquisition, when you have a good candidate is sometimes convincing the hiring manager that they are right, because they do have that, you know, 30 minute window 
And depending on how good that sentiment window is, like a yes or a no, right? But you've probably had this sort of lobbying period, communication period. So you've probably got a more of a picture of this individual coming yeah. in than you would have um, uh, than, than the hiring manager. And they have a very, very specific view. Um, a lot of our listeners and uh, some of our clients are recently invested scale-up businesses, right? And um, they have a talent acquisition function, very small usually, and um, they would have to convince usually the entrepreneur or the founder, the owner, that this person's right, who holds a very high standard. How did you go about positioning candidates to these individuals that held the bar so high? And how, did you have any examples whereby you sometimes had to really convince someone because you knew they were right, but, but the, the hiring manager wasn't buying them? Hmm. It's always tricky, right? Because it depends where you are in the process. How much did you learn from, from some failures? Um, so there's always the calibration piece, right? I, I hope people have the chance to do that with their hiring managers. But I think a thing that always saved both of us, right? Like it's, it's the hiring manager who needs to hire, not me. <laughs> so first of all, they need to realize that, that uh, whatever decision they, they decide to make, it impacts everything, time, the quality, the, the engagement of candidates and so on. But what I would say I would advise everybody to do is to try to build with their hiring manager a grid of what good looks like okay. uh, with as much variety as possible, right? Because again, roles also evolve. So if you do your structured interview and you say, I need A, B, C, how does that look depending on the level, the background of the people, what would be option A, option B, option C, so that you also kind of give yourself a bit of a chance and a bit of a buffer. Um, and this, this combination of structured interview, because I, I, I mean, I know where, you, where you're hit it, hinting at, hiring managers change their mind all the time as well, right? So <laughs> we need to lock them in as early as possible and say, no, we agreed on this thing. I've got you exactly what you need, right? So I think that that combination of a core, what good looks like, yeah. and then trying to find some some buffers, what, what would be some alternatives? What would be some replacement? What are those transferable skills that if you don't find that precise match, which you would probably never find, um, you can work with and you have a team or you have a certain plan to make it work for yourself so core buffer fantastic advice thank you for that so you did a good stint at facebook and then you went on to booking.com where you literally took a business from 20 to 250. tell us a bit about that booking uh, i think is my my darling experience and probably all the colleagues I had during that time would say the same. Um, it, it, was a, it was a fascinating time of, of scaling for Booking.com in Amsterdam, um, both for the TA team. So when I joined, um, I, I, lo I loved it at Facebook, to be honest. But after a couple of years in Ireland, it was a bit small and taking a plane everywhere was not very easy. <laughs> it's still an island, you know this. <laughs> no, you can actually take the train actually to, to France, right? So uh, you have a bit of pathway. But as an expat, it was it was getting a bit difficult. So there were a few options to move uh, with Facebook to, to London or US. Again, it was a bit counterproductive for my, my thought process at that point. So um, interesting point, just to make sure that the audience takes advantage of this. During one of conference, during one of the SRE conferences, the biggest SRE conferences in Dublin, I met the engineers from booking.com because they were also at the conference, right, pitching their roles for, for similar. So I met the engineers there and I kind of kept in touch. And when I was ready to leave, I reached out to somebody at booking, one of these engineers, and like, I'm looking for my next step. Is there anything there? So this person made a good referral bonus. <laughs> <laughs> just by that you know 10 minute connection in a conference um all these things matter but um with with, uh, with booking.com i joined and i picked up um as a lead infrastructure and security teams um we were 20 in ta when i joined i think in about a year and a half we were around 80. um it was a boom and acquisitions 250 of people how um, I mean, and that's just the talent acquisition team. Now I don't know exactly how big it is because they fragmented, but back then it, we were basically supposed to hire about 1,000 plus engineers per year. Nice. So we had to scale the TA team first. 
um, and I was uh, partnering with mainly four other peers. Of course, it evolved in time. Um, our uh, leader at that point, Selena Ritter, who is now in Amazon, an amazing lead who also challenged that all the time and, and really pushed us to, to, to think at scale, but also collaborate really closely. I think it, it made us um, enjoy a lot what we were doing, but also tackle important problems when it comes to the team building itself, but also working with our business leaders to figure out what makes sense, right? Like in terms of scaling, timing, pacing, uh, profile, interview, assessment practices, diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, there were many layers for us to get to a certain point of we are now stable and we can hire these 1,000 engineers per year, no problem at all. I mean, there's always problem, but... <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So I think so. What's curious, obviously, um, that challenge of scaling a talent acquisition team up, up in today's world is a, is a, a different uh, case. It's very, very difficult at the moment. What um, advice would you give to people who are trying to build out their talent acquisition teams today? And what do you look for when you're looking to build your teams in this sort of you know caliber of the individuals? What, what sort of things you look out for when you're building your teams today? Hmm. So let's start maybe with what I would look for. Each organization has its quirks, maybe, but also its opportunities. And I think at least at that point with booking, and we can go with some others later, but we had to be very data-driven because we had to make some very quick decisions and be very agile. And data was the only piece that would help us make those decisions. Like, where do we want to source? Which countries? How do we want to put the strategy into place? How do we advise the business? Like, what's the funnel looking like? Where are some good opportunities? So that was a, a team throughout each interview, for example. So we would have, again, a bit of a grid on what will make somebody successful here. Right? If you don't have these core things, you're going to struggle or you're going to fail or you're going to have a long, like painful time to learn. <laughs> I mean, everything is learnable, but ultimately there was a certain passion or inclination or potential, right? So I think that that was definitely something that we were looking for. But the second part, I would say, was really the diversity of backgrounds. Um, we were we were really conscious about doing panel interviews for all our recruiters, even today, right? I think it's fairly normal, um, just to understand what the value add of this person, whether your agency, you're not whatever you were from. Um, how do you contribute longer term, right? Like how are you going to develop in this organization, and how are you going to put a bit of a footprint on on the whole? Uh, team and there was a very interesting piece and I stole it and I'm using it a lot now um, especially as you grow in your career and as you you become a bit more tenured in a certain team how do you how do you multiply yourself we call it we called it the force multiplier so yeah. you are an enabler of others at some point through your knowledge through your network through even the plans and initiatives, you can pull people with you, you can push people and they become better. So therefore the whole team becomes better just by these small actions, right? This force multiplier. Um, I, I really like that concept. And I, I think it works really well when you're taught about that. Definitely. I, I, so that's something that resonates a lot with me. Um, one of the things that, that you know, I tried to do in my last role in this business today is um, build a team of people that are around you that when they're when when they're in the room, you don't need to be in the room, you know. Mm -hmm. So they are obviously replicating the values, beliefs, mm -hmm. uh, work rate, quality of the business. It means in a fast-growing, scaling company, uh, you can not only multiply well. If you multiply yourself, you multiply the work rate and the performance and the delivery uh, again, and again, and again. So uh, that's that's fascinating. Um, and then you went on to Zalando. No, actually, no. After Booking.com, um, I had a very interesting opportunity in Paris okay. um, with Criteo. It's a less known organization. I think about 3,000, 3,500 people at the moment. They have offices in Paris, Grenoble, and Michigan. Back then when I was there, they also had the Palo Alto um, a, a team. And I got the opportunity to build one of the few AI labs that are in Europe. So you would see some with Facebook, with Google, Amazon, Criteo, and at that size, around 100 people, 100 plus. Uh, machine learning, data science, data engineers, um, uh, very, very interesting. So yeah, I've been through Paris as well for a bit. Well-traveled. I'm a nomad. 
for sure. In the previous life, I was a nomad. <laughs> and you said you settled in Berlin now, right? Yes. And that's when you landed in Zalando, was that right when you first landed? Yeah, um, the same. I think a bit of a network, right? The, the advice, keep, keep, keep your bridges um, uh, tight. Um, a former colleague from Booking, um, the same, there was an opening in Zalando and I interviewed with them. It was really amazing to meet the leaders there. Um, when I joined, unfortunately, the role was not exactly what I was looking for for that particular time. Plus the person that I was supposed to work um, with or for, <laughs> no matter how you want to put it, Soren Winter is now my current manager in Waker. So there, there was a bit of a transition, I would say more towards uh, following a leader that I really respect and I really um, uh, feel that I can learn from. Um, and, and here we are actually um, still, still together with a very good leadership team, I feel so, yeah. And, and well, that, that goes towards our conversation earlier about how you know you build people around you that can replicate. You, when, when you leave the business, you want to have the people with you because you've invested so much in them and you're well well oiled a team and this operation eventually i think once you grow in your role and again you've, you've been in a couple of areas and hopefully you've done well <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. people people know you and uh, uh, they want to be more with you to see how it how it goes right the industry at some point gets really small to be honest uh, which is a good thing i i love this part that we can still find our own paths and build new things all the time. But in the same time, you have a network of people that you can rely on. Um, and um, to be honest, I, I think I realized that fairly late in life. I wish I would have realized that earlier, that the, the community is really important. And things, initiatives like Hung's or yours now, I think they're so important and we don't value them enough. Um, everything I learned was from other people. Like there's no... I mean, there are now a few books on recruitment, the hiring success, and you know, I think there's more and more, but especially at the beginning, I learned from the others and without them, I, yeah, <laughs> nothing would have happened. <laughs> uh, right, I think, I think, you know, um, one of the things I've noticed about this industry, while, um, that, I mean, in my view, especially in the UK, let's face it, recruitment, as in the traditional sense, has probably possibly got the greatest name in the world. It, um, yeah because it's kind of got this old sort of spray praise CV type um, connotations to it. But actually in-house talent acquisition is actually, I feel, a, a, a different area. And I feel there are lots and lots of communities um, uh, that we, we're part of and we contribute to, events we go to. Talking to what you've been saying earlier about how you've used your networks to move around your career, move around the world. I've found personally that the networks within talent acquisition have been very open to, to new people coming in, very open to learning, very open to progression and supporting. It's a good network. Hence why we do, and you've agreed to come on this sort of thing, right? So that other people can learn from it. Uh, I'm interested to learn if there are any that you've uh, used personally. Um, what sort of, um, are there any kind of groups that you uh, follow, any um, um, I guess, uh, networks that you were part of that, that have helped you through this sort of networking phase into different you know, uh, roles you've taken? So in the recent years, I would say, of course, recruiting um, uh, toolbox from uh, the US, I, that's, that's a bit separate, more on assessment and DEI, they do a lot of classes, but they also have a lot of community built around that. So definitely recruiting toolbox, but recruiting brain food here with Hang Lee, one of the biggest communities we have, and I think we can hopefully keep on counting on it, is diversifying. So that's, that's pretty, pretty amazing. Um, and I think what was interesting for me, I was always pulled in some other type of initiative. Like for example, now I'm doing a co-hosting podcast with uh, with Bass Talent Savies. It's called, you find it on, on Spotify. There's small trials, more things that connect you with even more people. Uh, I think in the UK, what I see really strong is this um, um, recruitment leaders, 100 recruiter yes. leaders. That's a yeah. very strong community that I don't see in other countries, to be honest. And it's really good to stay close with. And um, back in the day when we could do events, those were <laughs> really interesting. So I, I try to, to attend a couple of events, even if I'm uh, now I'm speaking out a few, but in general, I would try two, three uh, just to attend. I think you will find your group, you will find your, your gang. 
I, th I think um, there are some great communities you mentioned. We know the the Recumbies 100, the R100. Uh, well, they've got a rec fest coming up this year. It's, I think maybe the first one or the second one since COVID that's happening in person. We're going to be there. We're going to be sponsoring. I think you know, if, if you haven't already, I'm I'm sure. <laughs> I, I have my team all and like, when are we all going to breakfast? I'm like, maybe. So now I'm going to count on you, Leo. Yeah, you definitely, <laughs> must come. definitely must come. Definitely, definitely. And one of the things that um, talk about communities, though, that we probably just do is the, 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 the 100, I find, are all quite proudly promoting that they are part of that. Mm -hmm. Just putting themselves out there to support an industry of talent leaders um, and, and a community built uh, for supporting people in talent acquisition. And they do a number of initiatives from um, you know, campfires and uh, events and um, big exhibition festivals um, that just draw people in. And I think Bobby Leonard um, and his uh, partner uh, promote that really, really well. It's, it's definitely one of the best I've seen. Uh, you've also got the in-house recruitment expo as well. Yes. In-house recruitment, we, we sponsored that as well. They're, they're fantastic as well. They've got a pretty, they've got like 20,000 strong engagement, engaged community. Um, Natasha, right? Natasha has been a big driver there. <laughs> yeah. So there's, there's, for people coming up in this world, what we're, what we're trying to say is there are so many avenues and portals to, to learn, lean into, and gather uh, knowledge. You've just got to look for it and then be open to it because I think it's all there. The support's definitely yeah, there. For sure. And it's evolving and you find something for your taste, I think, ultimately. Um, and never neglect your alumni networks, wherever you've been, wherever you're... You know, you kind of see people going. They they become what I call weak ties uh, for people geeking out about uh, social networks. Uh, check this out. Weak ties apparently sometimes are stronger than your immediate uh, connection. So do nurture those and do do understand the impact of that through through your life and through other people's life. Again, it's not all about you, but maybe you can help others um, connecting faster when they need. That's yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Um, so. Now you're at Wayfair um, and you're scaling up the European uh, technology um, area of, um, of Wayfair, predominantly Berlin, um, Berlin-based. Uh, that's the European head office, um, am I right? Yes, that is correct. Tell, tell me a bit about your role, responsibilities there and, um, and, and how it works, how it looks. Sure. Um, and uh, thank you for your partnership. Uh, I, I think without chapter two, we would have struggled a bit. So that, that was very nice. But yeah, I'll, I'll also maybe give a, a hint for people who are interested in adding buffer to their teams. Um, when I joined, uh, the mandate was hopefully we're out of COVID and we can pick up back with our lives. And we, we, we had to scale really fast. We were four people in the team. Now we're 25. Across TA, we are almost 90 and 80 so percent are here for less than 12 months so both my area in technology and analytics but commercial operational we we had to invest um our year to be honest in in getting the, the right people in at the right time and i would say we have a good strong stable team at the moment um for for wafer specifically we are around 3,400 engineers. It's a company of 20,000 people, right? Like we are an e-commerce uh, platform for everything home. It's driven by technology. We, we, I would say we're quite unique in the market, but we are at the moment in Europe, only in Germany and the UK. We're expanding these areas. So there's a massive market opportunity for us. But in the US, Wayfair is a, it's a staple name, right? Like it's, it's like Tesco. And <laughs> For you. So everybody knows it from, from the small villages to the big cities. Um, but it's a very interesting business model. I was at a conference in Lisbon, I think somewhere in autumn. Um, and it was one of the first conferences in, in person. And there was a, a room of around 200 people. And I asked like, who here has bought furniture online? One person only. Um, so this is massive opportunity for us, right? Like that's going to completely shift. If you ask this in Amsterdam, half of the population, especially our age, probably would have bought stuff online <laughs> for home. <laughs> so um, somehow for us, uh, Wayfair is mainly making sure that we hire the right engineers for these expansion projects. We'd call a lot storefront, everything about supplier um, uh, platform. So that br brings us into tapping very quickly in everything 
uh, European talent, but we also hire globally. So I think this is what I notice a little bit when we talk about building teams, getting people in who, who can work with that level of complexity because it's not just I open the role, I find somebody, they come and they sign the contract, bye-bye. It's a lot of, can you move? How's your family looking like? What's the global mobility? What's the global situation at the moment? Can <laughs> Before we would ask, do, we, do you want to move? Now we ask, can you move? Is your country open? Are you on lockdown, right? Yes. So. <laughs> okay, totally, totally. So I think this is a very steep learning curve for most people. And I would say the second uh, big learning curve is um, the tooling piece. Um, we have very large uh, ATSs, very like large solutions for everything tech that sometimes can be a bit difficult to change, especially once you want to automate things. So I would say it's it's very interesting to to consider, will I be agile enough? Will I kind of want to learn all these things? Because it's not just let's hire some people, right? It's, it's really much more than that. Um, but it's been a very, very interesting journey. I think when when we decided to scale this, we were very serious. We need to um, hire some senior people in the organization first, yeah. because we knew we we're gonna grow so much so fast that all our stakeholders would need the right level of support. Um, so we invested there first. Second layer was more around like uh, partnership, like with chapter two, really understanding who could be our partners in the market to be agile and move if we want to scale, if we want to uh, target certain areas and we don't have the people in seat already, how do we uh, engage with top, uh, top partners in the market who who are on the same page with us, right? Uh, yeah. And now I think we're growing more into a stable all levels being covered, managerial, senior, people who are more junior and can learn and we can build the next generation as well. Okay, fantastic. And when it comes to um, delivering the talent acquisition solution for the hiring managers and building out those tech teams, and take a market like Berlin, not the easiest market to, uh, to, to hire in. Are you finding um, that you're needing to be quite creative with your teams in how you hire, i.e. we can't just look at this one uh, geographic area we have to look beyond that look at relocations um how, how are you what, what how are you doing it? how how are you scaling the teams up or is it quite simple is it linked to recruiter and, and full force i would say everything is an option i think this is what people need to understand there's no one way you have many options and you just need to be very smart about what you prioritize in that. Um, I'll give you an example. At the moment, we do have a, a type of role or a type of team that we need to build that needs to speak German. So that already limits your options, but it doesn't limit it to just Germany. You need to know who else speaks German around here. And maybe there are many Germans in the UK as well, right? So um, really being creative around like, what is the core piece that I could look at? and expand, continuously expand wherever it's geographical or profile or, um, yeah, really thinking very creatively there. Um, so there's no one way. Um, and I think this is a big challenge for people not to apply the same, <laughs> the same solution to different issues, right? Um, but then I would say it's also around narrowing it down. So once you are trying to expand, you also need to, you need to figure out what's your list of options, but what do you start with? So you don't go a bit crazy around <laughs> around the field, figuring it out, um, but trying to create some, some reliability in your thinking process, at least, and validating that com constantly with your hiring manager and with your, with your teams, for sure. Um, yeah. So, so I, I quite like where, where, where you're coming from there. So you start off with a very clear view of exactly what you want precisely. And then, then upon you know realizing that we're not probably going to get that within the time scale we want, we understand where we can move and where we can be flexible, which might broaden the search into different, different areas geographically or different capabilities, and 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 then uh, and then you fix on that and you see if that works, and then you you mold it accordingly. So it's like kind of like a, a constant evolving process. But when you when you start to find the talent, that's when you lock it down, and then you yeah. you double down. Imagine a, a decision tree, right? It's like, if this, then that, right? Like always there is this conversation in your head. If this happens, if this is needed, then this needs to follow, right? So then all this, each answer builds on another answer, right? So um, it sounds very philosophical. It's not, right? But it's a, it's a process of a daily check-in with oneself. Am I on the right path? 
um, do I need support, right? I think a lot of the times we need to acknowledge the fact that, yeah, maybe I need to engage a part, an external partner or I need to uh, advocate harder for changes in what I'm looking for to be successful. So even those should be or can be options to consider. Yeah, perfectly put. Okay, so um, we've talked a lot about the talent acquisition activity um, and thank you for sharing your background with us. Um, what I want to talk about is some of the other stuff that surrounds talent acquisition at the moment. Um, I would like to talk a little bit about um, data and analytics and the tools mm -hmm. that you you, uh, you use or you might be aware of. Um, and also um, another pillar that we're quite passionate about, which is uh, you know, employee value proposition and employee mm -hmm. branding and what role that plays in the awareness. Because you, you have said it yourself through your experience, you scale businesses you know, globally predominantly around Europe, but you've opened in these markets. And one of the things that um, I would guess is that when you've opened these um, in these markets where the company's possibly not so well known um, and the brand's not so well known, the employer brand is just unheard of. No one, who's that? You know, no, no, no one cares. So you've got to land in and you've got to hire these people to promote this brand. So let's start with employer branding. What's your experience of how employee brand uh, can impact um, our ability to, to acquire talent for a company? And how have you used it in the past? And have you got any stories on that? The short answer is it, it hits massively into how successful or how fast you can get to success. Um, my opinion is that we don't invest enough in employer brand, like organizations in general they think last about it. Like even talent acquisition sometimes comes last, right? Like, oh, I'm going to build all this business and then I need some people to actually build the business. <laughs> you should have started there. But employer brand comes even, for me, it's always shocking, to be honest. I have not seen an organization until now, except Facebook. Again, I think Facebook does this really well. It's their job, right? Like they, they build brands. <laughs> um, but really having a team of experts uh, or tapping into expertise. There's so many good agencies out there and treating it as a product because you want to sell the identity. 100%. <laughs> so if you're not doing mark, but I don't, maybe that's the mistake. The mistake is that we're calling it employer brand and we're not calling it marketing, cash making stuff, right? <laughs> so. <laughs> I've always said this, right? So when I, I got a, I had a little bit of controversy when I first stepped into talent acquisition work. I'm going to be honest, right? I sat in a meeting with quite a senior chief technology officer, and they said to me, "What are you doing in the talent space? You're an advertising guy." Mm -hmm. And my response is quite clearly because the Rolodex is dead, and recruitment yeah. is a marketing job. You know. Yeah. It's a sales and marketing gig. You know, the, the recruiters, the talent acquisition people, are the, the salespeople that actually have that direct one-to-one interaction with the people that are going to buy into that, that business, how you buy the product. And I also believe that it's a lifetime purchase. You know, it's like you buy a house, you buy a car, you don't want to change it in three years. You'll be there for as long as you want to be there. So uh, we are absolutely uh, aligned on that. We um, uh, employer branding is, is huge. Um, yeah. Maybe, um, did you see a lot of this at Facebook when you were there or did, was it a bit too early? Um, I mean, I've seen very good developments of EVP roadmaps and rollout of them. Booking has really um, done a marvelous job. I would say once they figure out, okay, we actually do need to put a team in place, yay. <laughs> uh, same for all the others, to be honest. I think at some point there is a click uh, when you realize your recruiters cannot handle all the weight because first of all your recruiters and your hiring managers are part of your employer brand um, pillars right they are the advocates they are the um the how do you call that like <laughs> when you have a voice totally um and they carry a lot of this story to your customer the AKA candidates, but there's a certain um, problem when you, your funnel doesn't consider this top, top side as a marketing, like consideration and awareness. So once your candidate has interacted with a TA person or a hiring manager or somebody for a referral, they're already in the intent piece. Yes. Like they already want to buy a little bit into it. How do we get to all the others? We have no idea who you are, right? So I think this, this part of reach is so important and this visibility. Um, 
And I would say, of course, everybody talks about EVP, right? Like what's your value proposition? What can you go with as a single voice in any market? And that is so difficult for people to agree on. <laughs> because again, it's your identity. Yeah. It's not that you're making, I don't know, a presentation that the next month is not valid anymore. You need to keep that for five, three, five years, hopefully, right? Yeah. Um, so I would say my the, the biggest challenge I see in the organization is actually agreeing on this EVP first. The rollout sometimes is not the most difficult piece. People know what they need to do, how to activate which channel. Is it social media? Do you do some OHR, some prints, some, some communications? Some com- like you do all those things. But agreeing on the message and having that one single voice that you're proud of, anybody in the organization can say your tagline without <laughs> thinking twice. <laughs> it's a long road, to be honest. It, it is. It is. And, um, you know, the, um, the, the interesting thing I find about um, uh, employer branding, marketing uh, in, in this space is that if you are not doing the top of funnel content creation, just to show people what it's like working at your business. You're only ever going to be working in that uh, intent area. Um, And what we believe is that we've got to open a window, right? We've got to create this window that absolutely passive people can look into and go, I really like this place. This looks cool. Oh, I see that person. That's just like me. I want to be like that. That that leader is super inspiring. Okay. And then they want to come inbound because I had this tagline when, when I first um, set up chapter two. I was 15 years working for an amazing ad, ad agency. Right? I was mm-hmm. the operational end, I was the scaling up end of it. So I wasn't you know, the true out sort of creative marketer, but I was there for 15 years and I wasn't looking. And my, my tagline was, the best talent is not looking. They're happy, they're looked after. <laughs> the, the ones, they're taken care of by the in-house talent teams and, and, and the career sites. That's, that's great. But you want those people as well, the ones that aren't looking. And you're only really going to get them, I think, um, if they're aware of you. Because the talent lead or your in-house talent team are not going to pick up that phone or write that message at the perfect time and that perfect hour where they feel a bit disgruntled and decide to start looking. They, but if you are consistently publishing content about your business, about your, your, your benefits, about your culture, about your growth, about how exciting it is, um, then they're going to go, oh, do you know what? I remember seeing that and they're going to apply. So I 100% sign up to <laughs> But you just said something like, I, I know people know this in recruitment. It's all about timing. Yes. But the timing is nothing without those connecting dots, even unconsciously. Uh, or coming back to my example earlier, the reason why I ended up at booking at some point is because I met somebody for five minutes in this organization three years before, right? So you cannot ignore the connectedness of things. Um, and I, I hear I hear we have such a big opportunity with everything, with the internet, let's say so. <laughs> Before it was much more, uh, much more difficult to, to have reach. Uh, but in the same time, of course, we talk about the, the diluting messages and um, so much noise that you also need to distinguish oneself. Um, you need to bombard, you need to be present. Working in, an, in like Criteo in Paris is an advertising technology. So they compete with Google on ad space online and uh, they they just have that model that works really well Um, but talking to the leaders there they were like it's 90% repetition and 10% distinction that's that's all that's how it should be and I I really see that to be honest yeah yeah, absolutely so yeah so um, so content creation hugely important Um, but one of the other things that's equally important is making sure you're not only pushing out content to the right locations. Again, for me, marketing marketing is about making stuff and distributing it to the right location. You can make the most beautiful campaign, but if you don't know where to put it, that other people are going to see it and engage with it, you may as well not bother because that money is wasted. So marketing is about making stuff and distributing stuff. And one of the things that in talent acquisition that we have around us all the time is loads and loads of tools and technologies they give us insights to tell us, you know, where the talent is, who's hiring it, what the average salaries are, um, what are the, the gender diversity splits, et cetera, et cetera. And at Chapter 2, we have a, effectively a, a tech stack. It's, it's, our, it's not our own priority at all. We actually we, we pride ourselves going out to market, getting best in breed, buying the licenses, and, and then using it to support our in-house teams. 
Um, but there are so many um, um, products out there. Some of the listeners might really uh, benefit to hear about some of the tools and um, technology platforms you might have used in the past that have added value to you. So what, what have you used in the past that you highly recommend? Um, something that everybody can tap into and it's not too expensive, LinkedIn Insights. So if you can convince your leader just to, you will have a LinkedIn recruiter license anyway. So get that. Um, it's going to give you a lot of um, actual, like, how could I say, real-time data, which is very important from the biggest database in the world at the moment. Um, but I must say, I think um, a lot of people would find a very interesting data in their own ATS, uh, which um, I'm, I'm very happy that we can tap, at least here at Wafer, we have this uh, amazing uh, data capturing and data visualization tool called Vizier. Um, and it captures things from from three perspectives. So it brings in data from ATS, but also from um, Workday. So your 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 area where you store data about your current population. So you can compare attrition with what you're hiring, which sometimes you don't have that luxury in real time, right? Um, and uh, the same with everything headcount planning and requisitions. What actually do I need to do? So gathering more sources of information, I think, is really helpful. Again. I think a very interesting product. I haven't used it in organization, but I love it. I, I, I know of it and I love it. And I think it's a very interesting solution, especially for smaller and medium organizations, Candidate ID. It again, it brings you so much information from funnel external information, but then helps you tailor your approach really well. Um, for the big organizations that I work with in general, we go for like larger CRM solutions. Uh, Phenom or Gem we are implementing at the moment. So I think these are very interesting ones to help you pull that. And as you say, you can always buy data, right? Whether you go to the large consultancy companies like the McKinsey's, the Bain and so on, or you work with even your agency. Like to, honestly, <laughs> I think the more senior, more mature agency that we, agencies that we work with, they do their analysis and their insights on a yearly basis. And then for tech, of course, you have Stack Overflow. You have a lot of like other alternatives where you get this maybe twice a year or once a year in a very uh, crystallized form that you can use for your strategies, but also for convincing or discussing with your managers, for sure. I really love the point you made about Vizier and, and, and picturizing the, the data and analytics. It really you know, pictures just land a message a lot clearer than sometimes a, a page full of copy. And um, one of the tools that we, we obviously you know, use Vizier and we work with you on Vizier and it, it helps tell a story. As I said, we, we pull all sorts of tech platforms. So Horsefly, as an example, mm -hmm. yes. where we work with Sourcebreaker, we work with Cord um, to help us find uh, the talent. Um, but one of the things that I think is um, really key is, is using the visualization piece to map demand versus capacity. Because when you're looking at a strategic workforce plan, um, everybody um, will think, just send it to the talent acquisition team. But sometimes if you can visualize, okay, we've got these roles, this is the demand curve, this is capacity, how do you want to address this problem? Here's a solution. It lands the message to allow you to scale up your team a lot quicker. So again, for potential people who are um, listening to this that are part of a one person, two person talent acquisition team that's just received a CCRE funding round or something, you know, yeah. using visualization to help uh, land the message saying we need to scale up our team and they don't want to. Well, what could that could mean is we can't land these roles, which means you can't deliver that project, you know, by that date. Yeah, and I think in general, there are, I don't know, I, I see two types of people, people who are like, they just want to guess the future all the time, but not look in the past. And those who just look in the past, and they don't understand how they can make a, a forecast, right? So we need to marry those two, because the story is important, right? Like what's happened? What am I learning from it? What's next? Whatever, again, we don't know the future, you might do your forecast to do to try to predict as best as possible, how fast can you hire your recruiters, how fast they can be productive, how fast you can grow the actual teams, how fast do people will land in seat, find out how fast those engineers or those people will actually be productive, right? So there's such a long journey from when you open a role to where your impact is being, your, your product is being impacted, yeah. it can be a year and a half, right? So, these things need to be really well, even for you as a, as a recruiter, 
if you know this, the way you talk to a hiring manager and the way you influence that conversation changes overnight, to be honest. Like when you understand that, okay, I'm going to hire you in a person in 30 days, but then the actual impact on the product can take months because there are so many other constraints. And just processing this is, is super interesting usually. That's fantastic. Thank you. Um, I want to move on to uh, diversity and inclusion. Um, it's a massively hot topic and something you're very passionate about. Yeah. Um, you know, for, for a lot of our listeners, uh, building uh, teams uh, is one thing, but building diverse teams is incredibly important as we scale up our, our clients' businesses, but also as, as talent teams uh, scale their businesses. Um, give me uh, your uh, interpretation of how best to approach diversity and inclusion uh, within uh, a talent acquisition role and making sure that while we are the gatekeepers, ideally for the, the talent coming in, how we can create those filters to make sure that we're building uh, diverse teams for you know, the, our clients or you're building for your teams. So here, Leon, I just want to leave a tagline before we finish. Um, we are the gate openers. If we start thinking, how do we hire for potential? We start investing into gathering that knowledge to become gatekeepers for the people who need it, right? Um, there is uh, this meritocracy philosophy is very damaging. Mm -hmm. People don't have the chances um, distributed equally uh, in their life. Um, and the faster we, we realize this, the faster we find systems to put in place in our hiring processes, to not be biased around um, schooling, uh, background, uh, even the unconscious bias, whether it's ageism, whether it's sexism, whether it's uh, homo, like there are a lot of things that uh, influence our decision-making about anything, right? Um, and I think for me, what was very uh, important was to realize how much power we have as recruiters. Mm. Insane. Um, when I started 10 years ago, um, I had this job description. It was for a network engineer. They must, person needs to lift 80 kilos. And I'm like, if I put this on the job ad, it will push away half of the people, those with disability, those with back pain, and especially women, right? Like if you are a little bit uh, <laughs> like me, I'm like, I don't want to lift 80 kilos a day, right? Um, but in the same time, really questioning like, there are machines like I don't because it was just take a server and move it into another side. I'm like, I just need a forklift. I don't I need to drive. I don't need to lift stuff. Okay. So just challenging, challenging this requirement, these stereotypes is such a big power that we as recruiters and recruitment specialists have that it's a shame not to use it. So yeah, that's yeah. first. Even if you don't know what you're doing, just question it. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I would say uh, when it comes to working in an organization and trying to approach the topic definitely acquiring knowledge and positioning yourself as an expert as much as possible helps um, because then people come to you so there is a lot of push that you need to make when it comes to dei but once once people realize that you are helpful that you are knowledgeable that you are curious that you are empathic that you kind of understand that there needs to be a different approach they come to you and they help you build those systems. This was my experience um, when, when I, let's say, more seriously got into the topic. It was back in Facebook. We were hiring these infrastructure engineers, network engineers. There were not a lot of women in these fields, but they were, right? So this realization of I just need to attract them, again, the consideration, the awareness. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Am I on their radar, right? So um, they were, but they were more maybe in more traditional, more stable environments, more whatever that that time was. Um, but working with people and telling them, let's let's just think outside the box here. Do we have the right benefits in place to attract a diverse um, a group of people? Um, are we flexible on our locations? Can we be flexible? Maybe the answer is yes, if you ask, right? So there are so many things that ultimately come from questions um, and then building, just fine tuning your systems. You cannot change fundamentally how we do things. I think there are many solutions today that they're trying to maybe even push us in the direction, no CV for like blind CVs. They're very interesting solutions. 
uh, Harvard, for example, is a, it's a marvelous solution to um, uh, engage a large group of people without necessarily putting them in front of a person and judging them very quickly based just on a CV, right? Mm -hmm. So there are many things that you could do, but the, the most important part was, for me at least, is understanding what's my goal. I just need to change the approach and then taking it apart, like what can I change of <laughs> these things? Sorry, it was a bit of a longer, longer no. and weirder answer, but it's really down to, can I be the gate opener? Because this is the power I have. Yeah. Honestly, that was a really powerful answer and uh, clearly one you're passionate about. And um, I really, really resonated with me that, you know, how we are, we are the gate openers uh, for, for the, you know, these sort of diverse workforces. And we need, we need, we need to educate uh, the businesses. Um, upwards um in order to to build them how, how um i mean you, you you've been in this career in this game for quite some time um how have you how have you convinced organizations to start to to build this naturally into their processes um and and been successful in doing that because uh, one of the things that i i believe in one, we, we have, you know, as I say, our three pillars, but one of the things we believe in is creating content to show the window into the world. So people from any background can look in and see themselves working in, 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 that, in that environment. And one of the things you can't fake is, um, uh, you know, what your world looks like from the inside. When we, when we talk about pushing out content, mm -hmm. I'm not talking about just getting your CEO on to do a nice polished presentation. I want to talk to your software engineers and I want to interview the software engineers who are doing the work day to day so that people similar to them can you know be drawn to go work there yeah but this is a massive behavioral shift how if you're you know someone in an organization wants to address it how i know this is a massive question we could probably do a podcast on its own on this. <laughs> yes but like high level like top tips yeah uh, i do have a, a a conference piece just on that um but a, a bit the same like with employment know your audience so i have Personally, I've adopted very different approaches depending on who am I talking to. If I'm talking to a CFO uh, or a business person in my organization, I am making the business case, which is, is telling me that if I have diverse teams, uh, gender and race, I have higher margins of profit. Like I speak money when I speak to these people, okay? Because the research is there. Go to McKinsey, go to a bunch of other stuff like from, from the development, uh, UN uh, sustainability development goals. There's so much research about organizations when they add even 1% of diversity in their teams, their, their profit margins change, their profit in general, their revenue in general changes, right? By, by not a little bit, like 20%, 25%. So I make the business case with a certain group of people. Then if I speak... Totally. <laughs> because, you know, they're like, oh, my roadmap is to get this business to 100 billion. I'm like, okay, I'm going to help you get there, right? But just hear me out. If I speak to hiring managers, I make more of a case about the other proof that we have around diverse teams, which is collaboration and creativity. So for them, it's important that their teams work well together and they bring the best product to the market. Therefore, again, you this is your goal. I'm going to help you get there by making sure your, your teams are diverse, right? So those are two different areas. And then if I speak more to, let's say, even our teams, right? I think what I see a lot in, in, in talent acquisition, they don't have, while let's say I can adhere to the fact that I want good products for my organization, I don't necessarily own that roadmap. But what I own is the employee happiness. Mm -hmm. So in I think for TA groups in general, and if I would speak to, to my TA director, I speak about engagement and I speak about even social good in a way, right? We have a responsibility for our communities because when you hire somebody, you don't influence just them, you influence their families, you influence their friends, you influence their purchasing power if you're doing equal pay. It was equal pay day yesterday. So uh, there, is, there is so much that you can pick based on your audience. And I would just advise people to, to consider that first, then coming with the laundry list of things and losing people in the, in the conversation because it's a lot and it's sensitive sometimes. That's fantastic advice. Thank you so much. Um, we are out of time. Um, I, wanna, I just want to thank you so much for, for coming on this. It's genuinely been a privilege to hear your story. 
hear some of your approaches and your experiences. I know our listeners are going to take a great deal from, uh, from this podcast. So thank you so much uh, for everything you've contributed today. I'm sure um, you'd be open to it, but um, we generally ask if anybody's got any further questions or would like any further insight, they can reach out to you on LinkedIn and okay. get in touch. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. Um, I know I get a little bit too deep in some things. So if something needs some clarification, for sure, link, reach out on LinkedIn. Happy to chat anytime. And thank you very much for the invite. I hope it's, it's, it's helpful and entertaining. <laughs> Brilliant. Thank you so much.